0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 15th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. What are the costs and benefits of the Iran nuclear deal so far? Will Donald Trump, as promised, rip up the deal in pursuit of a presently non existent better deal? Ariane Tabatabai is author of the new Cato paper, Preserving the Iran Nuclear Deal Perils and Prospects. We spoke earlier this month. What were the successes of the Iran deal?
1: Well, from a technical perspective, the deal rolls back a number of key elements uh, and very sensitive elements of the Iranian nuclear program. Uh, And those elements are uh, usually used to develop a nuclear weapon. If a country wants to pursue a nuclear weapon, it has to go down one of two paths, essentially. Uh, the first one is uranium enrichment, and on that, the nuclear deal has placed a number of limitations for Iran, which means that Iran can enrich some uranium, but it can only enrich it to up to a certain level, and it can only do it using a number of centrifuges, which means that it can't really, for the foreseeable future, uh, develop a nuclear weapon using uh, n- enriched uranium. The second path is the plutonium path, uh, and that has been essentially stopped uh, by the nuclear deal. The third thing the, a country can do, though, is to procure a nuclear weapon, to go and purchase it from somewhere else, to, to steal it from, from another country, for example. Uh, and on that, too, the nuclear deal does a fair deal a fair bit. Um, It essentially places um, inspections and very robust monitoring on the country's nuclear program uh, to make sure that Iran stays, um, continues to use its nuclear technology for civilian purposes, but that it does not uh, develop a nuclear weapon.
0: So why are we told that it's a bad deal?
1: Well, because it has a number of shortcomings. Uh, And I think critics are right to point those out. Uh, One is that it does not stop Iran from uh, building and testing ballistic missiles. Uh, And that's, of course, a key challenge for the United States and for U.S. partners and allies in the region, particularly Israel and Saudi Arabia. Uh, Second, the deal has certain – it has what is called a sunset clause, which means that it is going to expire. The deal is not there forever, um, and that's, that was a, a critical reason why Iran uh, agreed to uh, conclude this deal to begin with. It wasn't going to say, yes, we will stop all, uh, all of these activities for the foreseeable future uh, or forever, um, but it was willing to sign up to the deal if uh, its terms start to expire after a decade um, and different components of the deal expire after uh, a certain amount of time. So these things make it, uh, you know, are, are obviously shortcomings, but they were also necessary in order to obtain a deal to begin with. Uh, so it's not a perfect deal. It was the best one that was available uh, to the negotiators on both sides. They had to make a number of compromises. You had uh, seven parties at the table. Uh, so the six countries um, that were negotiating the deal, the EU and, and of course, uh, Iran. Uh, so... E- Being able to get all of those countries with different interests, different dynamics, uh, to agree on a number of provisions uh, was, of course, very difficult.
0: How important is it that Iran, in some ways, however it can be done, be sort of welcomed into the community of the world?
1: Well, that was really the key driver behind Iran coming to the table, uh, Iran came to the table because it was uh, that backbreaking sanctions were imposed by the United States and their national community, uh, and it had really crippled its economy. At the same time, though, it was also very interested in overcoming the isolation uh, that it had um, that, that, that it was suffering from uh, under the Ahmadinejad uh, presidency. And so, if Iran five years or ten years from now doesn't see any kind of change, uh, doesn't believe that it has overcome that isolation, uh, both political and economic, then it is not going to see any dividends from the deal. And then it won't have any kind of uh, reason uh, to really stick to the deal.
0: To what extent does rhetoric out of the White House uh, change the expectations uh, of the leadership in Iran?
1: Well, one thing that the rhetoric coming out of the White House does is it puts a shadow of uncertainty um, on the future of the nuclear deal. And certainty, or some level of certainty anyway, is really required for the nuclear deal to to be implemented smoothly. Uh, that's because on the Iranian side, the expectation is that sanctions relief will lead to some sort of economic recovery, that businesses and investors will be able and willing to go into Iran. Now, there's only so much the United States can do and the, and, and U.S. partners can do in, uh, in, in helping businesses go into Iran, but certainly the rhetoric coming out of the White House, uh, which casts a shadow of doubt surrounding the future of the deal is not sending a signal to businesses and investors that Iran is a safe market uh, for them to, to enter. Uh, So that is creating – that's creating some sort of uh, tension between Iran and uh, the P5 plus 1, the the U.S. very specifically. Uh, And it's also sending a signal to Iran that uh, the U.S. is not really that serious in implementing the JCPOA, the nuclear deal.
0: And assuming that continues, uh, it seems that Iran would not want – be willing to uh, sign on to some other deal uh, down the road. Is that right?
1: That is right. The Rouhani administration, uh, which is a moderate administration, uh, was pushing for what it called a JCPOA-2, so a second deal essentially that that would – Bring Iran back to the table um, and uh, negotiate uh, with um, the West. Um, they were not super clear on who the counterparts would be, but presumably the EU and the us would be involved. Uh, and the negotiations would be to uh, would aim to remove the remaining sanctions. So they could potentially involve the ballistic missile program or Iranian regional activities or human rights issues all things that the United States and its partners care about um, when it comes to Iran. Uh, But of course, in the past few months, there has been a lot of pushback by conservatives, by by hardliners, saying that the JCPOA, the nuclear deal, is already not working. So essentially, what's the point of having another round of negotiations uh, when the first round of negotiations didn't really lead to anything? Uh, So that makes things more challenging. There's another point, though, and that is that there was a channel of communication that was created under the Obama administration between Iran and the United States. And that was fairly unique. in three decades since the revolution, the 1979 Islamic Revolution, uh, there had essentially been no channel of communication between the two countries. And that was vital in the escalating tensions when 10 U.S. sailors entered Iranian waters and the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, Iran's paramilitary group, captured them. Uh, that channel of communication was vital in allowing Secretary Kerry to, uh, to speak with his counterpart, Javad Zarif, in Iran and to get their quick and smooth release. Uh, And that is something that is critical in the Persian Gulf specifically because you do have uh, the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guards, and U.S. uh, forces that operate in very, very close proximity.
0: There are hardliners on both sides here. Um, Donald Trump, campaign mode Donald Trump uh, was – certainly could be viewed as a hardliner from the United States perspective. There are hardliners in Iran who – uh are I, I presume wishing for a deal, this deal to uh, fall apart. So what does uh, what could we best do? What could the United States best do to undermine uh, the hardliners on both sides?
1: Well, you're exactly right. You do have hardliners on on both sides, and um, you know the the Trump administration is not the only hardline, entity when it comes to Iran anyway in in the US. You have a number of members of Congress who have uh, essentially adopted for the past few decades a a view that confrontation all the time everywhere with Iran is the only solution. Um, So uh, yes, the Trump administration's rhetoric has been a lot more hawkish, uh, but in some ways its policies have not been a very drastic departure uh, from those uh, that were put in place before. That said, I think that the first and most important thing um, the United States needs to do, um, and it's not clear to me that that is something the Trump administration is ready or willing to to do, is uh, to clearly state its commitment uh, to the nuclear deal. Uh, There's uh, a number of question marks surrounding this. Um, We know that the president doesn't like the nuclear deal. He vowed to dismantle it during the campaign. Uh, and since has kind of gone back and forth on it. Um, He said recently that uh, Iran may not be in compliance with the nuclear deal in 90 days. Um, On the Iranian side, things are a bit easier because even the most hardline factions within the Islamic Republic now see the nuclear deal as the law of the land. And I think that that is an opportunity for the United States. Um, That is an opportunity because it means that regardless of what kind of U.S. action Iran takes, short of withdrawing from the deal altogether, Iran is going to be trying to comply by the deal. It's going to continue to implement the deal. The the important thing is to continue to work with U.S. negotiating partners, that means the European Union, the Germans, the French, the British, and of course the Russians and the the Chinese, to Make sure that small crises don't turn into big ones, um, and uh, to to allow for the nuclear deal to continue to be implemented um, with some level of certainty um, for for the next few years.
0: Ariane Tabatabai is author of the new Cato paper, Preserving the Iran Nuclear Deal, Perils and Prospects, available at Cato.org. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.